I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Omar Mualam in Edmonton, columnist for Metro, uh, writes words for Wired Magazine, The Walrus, and others, editor of The Yards Magazine in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. Thanks for having me. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Teresa Healy, Paul DeCampo, Marianne Mia Jones, Julian Guichandut, Aaron Walsh, Carrie Thornborough, Randy M. Peterson, Alana Johnson, and Chris Hare. Chris, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I love Canada proper. Uh, sometimes I need someone to help me navigate the convoluted Canadian political system. So I love Commons because it helps me make sense of our Canadian political system. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Omar. I got to ask you. Okay, we're doing this? We're doing it. You ever freelance much? Sounds like you do. That's my uh, my bread and butter. How do you do your invoicing? I do it with a spreadsheet, and I do it by relentlessly reminding people to please, please pay me already. I never understood the spreadsheet invoice myself. Of course I use FreshBooks. Omar, you should consider using it too. I really find that there's something about the way that they deliver these messages where I don't have to bug people to pay me with the same frequency. There's just something psychological that happens when it's like there's like like a third party involved or there's something about the, the way that these things look. They make you look good. You get paid quicker. They save you time. 
And I think this is a great time to do the 30-day free trial for FreshBooks because it's it's right before the new year. And if you've been thinking about this, you can start testing it now. And then your entire 2016, if you decide to sign up, will be under FreshBooks. And that'll just help when it's the next tax time. So check it out. The mobile app is fantastic. FreshBooks.com. First 30 days are free. Tell them who sent you. You'll be doing the show a favor. Painless billing, cloud accounting, FreshBooks.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So, Omar... We're going to do what we always do on Shortcuts today, uh, which is we're going to criticize the media coverage. We're going to pick apart the work of our <laughs> peers, of our fellow okay. journalists. We're going to find fault. We're going to throw stones from our glass house, all that stuff. But before we do, I think we need to take a minute to recognize that the attacks in Paris, like this is one of these stories and this is one of those times when when journalists run towards gunfire. People were just helping their their colleagues out. Everyone was lending a hand and people were taking incredible risks in order to inform everyone else. And when the job of informing everybody becomes this important, it's just so urgent. Like it's, it's, it's second only, I guess, to what the cops and paramedics and doctors are doing is that people desperately need information. We needed these reporters uh, to find out what was happening. And it was, it was journalists in Paris who were risking their necks to get it. I think we need to recognize that. Absolutely. With that in mind, uh, we wanted to get one of them on the phone and our intrepid editor, Jane Litvinenko, was able to get Charles Pellegrin on the phone, and he is a reporter with France 24, which is a 24-hour news station. Some call it Europe's CNN. Jane spoke with him uh, on the phone, and this is what that sounded like. Were you there uh, when the news broke? Were you in the newsroom? I was in the newsroom when the news broke. I was actually about to leave. 
and uh, then didn't. <laughs> what was that like? For a while, there was a lot of sort of different information because the, the attack was happening on on so many different fronts that it seemed almost surreal, a little bit, a little bit unreal, should I say. There was a bit of a headless chickens running around moment, I'd have to say, for a little bit, just a bit of confusion because this is kind of unparalleled to something like this that hasn't happened in France since uh, World War II. But quickly, sort of the, the breaking news machine kind of set itself in motion and, and like the, the higher ups of the company came in and um, started taking charge and setting up special editions and people came in on their own sort of volition to sort of help out. And, um, and so we had, uh, we had several teams working on, on our coverage and like very, very quickly we had um, witnesses, one of our journalists who was having dinner at, um, at one of the, at Le Petit Cambodge, which was one of the restaurants where the shootings took place. She saw all, all of that firsthand, and luckily she wasn't hurt. Uh, she's probably in a, in a bit of shock, but it was confusion and then kind of getting down to business and getting down to work because you know at that point that people are watching, basically. I think the point of a 24-hour news channel, which is where I work, is that when something big happens, people tune in, and then suddenly you're, you know, like suddenly you, you, you know that it makes sense to do your job, I guess. Even if it's just like giving just the information as you know it, and even if it's not much information at first, you know that people are watching and people want to know. And they don't necessarily, I don't think people want to know a lot of information. They just want to know what, what's happening and what's for sure. So, and I think. It would have been a letdown if uh, France 24 being, the, you know, the the French international news station had not been the, the channel of reference, you know. But, I mean, uh, CNN and, and, and Fox and <laughs> and all the other big uh, networks are here and, and, are, and have done extensive coverage of it, too. But I think it's they've done it in a very different way uh, than, than we have or than or that French media has. I was watching Geraldo Rivera doing a, a live shot and. The whole thing was about he had a relative in Paris, and we do have some like personal stories and everything, but they went for the sensational and the emotional above everything else. And I think it's, I don't know, it, it seemed a bit, and he was doing it in a weird way too, I have to say. It, it, seemed, uh, it seemed very fake to me, at least. I noticed that you held off from reporting some things that CNN has reported on that later turned out to be false. Can you tell me a little bit about the decision making that went into that? In this particular context, in this particular event, there was just a general atmosphere of caution. With that in mind, we got clear directives from our higher ups telling us to to just be very careful about the information we give instead of just throwing out whatever wires we get to just wait a little bit. Obviously, we, we also made, we had to retract things or, or we've made uh, mistakes. And I was writing a package about the investigation and where it was at on Sunday. And this, this Egyptian passport was mentioned in a number of different sources. And I was working with, with, a, with a francophone colleague who put it in his, uh, in his package about the investigation. So I, I went with it. And like later on that day or the next day, I, I found out that um, probably belonged to a tourist, to someone who had just come to watch the game. And it's really like that's kind of it feels kind of shitty because it's in moments like this where it's important to to make the right choice and to and to try and, and provide like um, accurate information and to you know to, to live up to the journalistic mission and I had to mention this Egyptian passport in the same breath as I did the suspect Syrian passport. I felt irresponsible when I, I when I put that on the air. Just I didn't say anything wrong about the Egyptian passport. I just said one was found, but the fact that I said it in the same breath 
as another suspect passport, it's, it's just a bit, you know, it's iffy. And I felt iffy. It's putting someone's um, innocence uh, in question that, that shouldn't have been, you know, just on the basis of basically nationality. And that's, that's pretty bad. And, and, and I was going along for a while before it was retracted. Maybe I'm not going to be so uh, judgy as to denounce other people's irresponsible journalism. There's some mistakes that are really mistakes, and there's mistakes that are systemic. You know, when you're working in a 24-hour news channel, you have you've got to work on very short deadlines. You got to feed the beast, and you get a lot of pressure to put something on the air, and you try your best, and, and sometimes it really doesn't work out, and it's, so it's hard to avoid uh, to avoid mistakes, but. It's maybe it's about how you deal with those mistakes as if it's uh, completely avoiding it. There's, there's just so much information. How are you guys doing over there? We're, I can't imagine how long your days must be right now. Well, I mean, so I'm, I'm 28 and the areas they targeted, I mean, apart from the Stade de France and, and, and the North, I mean, the cafe terraces and, and the restaurants and, and that area, the 10th and the 11th is, is like exactly where, well, a lot of, of us, uh, a certain demographic, go out on the weekends to relax, and that's that's the it's, it's the areas of Paris we identify with, and and whether or not you've you know you have you've been directly affected, you just you just have to feel you just feel uh, a bit you know close to it because because you could have been you you know because uh, you because you go to these places so often, and and honestly, the fact that it I was speaking about this demographic as well. It's like a lot of people my age and, and have have at least you know some second degree connections to, to, to the victims, you know, and, and that's really weird. Like you can have conversations around you, and everyone everyone at least knows someone who knows someone who, who died or is badly hurt, and that's like that's pretty. I mean, we're a pretty sheltered generation. We. We didn't grow up in a world like this uh, in the West, and you know, and and, and it's uh, it's a weird, it's a weird moment, it's a weird realization, and, and it's uh, yeah, it's such a strange thing because it's also like the you look at the at the list of victims and it's such a di- it's such a diverse group of individuals, you know, it's really, um, I think you know, we're all trying to process that. We're trying our best. So thank you to Jane Litvinenko and Charles Pellegrin for that. I think, first of all, what happened in Paris was appalling. This is a vibrant, multicultural city. Young people of all faiths and older people as well, all there together and cultures. And this terrible thing happened. Likewise, which didn't unfortunately get hardly any publicity, was the bombing in Beirut last week or the the killing in Turkey. And I think our media needs to be... a able to report things that happen outside Europe as well as inside Europe. A life is a life. We hear this again and again that the media didn't care about a day earlier when there was a a bombing in in Lebanon. We heard that the media didn't care about a bombing even earlier in Baghdad. It's just not true. No, I mean, no one can actually accuse the media of failing to cover it. That's just patently wrong. It's the intensity of the coverage and the gravity of the coverage that's quite different. Um, You don't, I mean, you know, Canadian media, the world media wasn't, they weren't all sending correspondents to, to Beirut during the attacks. They were taking what they can from the wire, which often is very good. But um, I mean, it's just, it's just not as intense. 
And, uh, you know, they, were, they weren't breaking the news as it happened. And, and even if you, if you read what was coming in from The Wire, too, it's set up differently, too. Uh, CBC ran a story from AP, and in the, in the first sentence, it mentions that the area in Beirut was a Hezbollah stronghold. In the first sentence, so you're already setting people up to believe that it's just a, a matter of sectarian violence, not that this is an ISIS attack, not that this is actually quite an anomaly for Lebanon, which is, you know, not under the rule of, of ISIS, despite what Jeb Bush would tell you. Um, and <laughs> hold on, we just got it. We got to so Jeb Bush said that if you're a Christian in Lebanon, you're, you're increasingly likely to get beheaded. Yes. Uh, which I don't believe is, is true at all. <laughs> it certainly is not. They're, they're one of the most powerful, um, uh, factions of people in Lebanon. And uh, in fact, you, you can't be president of Lebanon unless you're a Christian. So not that they have a president right now, but that's another uh, you know facet of their political quagmire. But basically, I mean, it took a while for, for some of these stories to get to the fact that who ISIS was targeting were worshippers and civilians at a bakery. The, the Globe ran a story from the New York Times that was good. It was cautious. It mentions ISIS's mentioning of Hezbollah and notes the fact that ISIS mentioned Hezbollah as sort of an afterthought because the real target was the apostate Shiites. So to put this into perspective, the, uh, the false claim, there was a tweet that no media has covered the bombing in Lebanon, and that got retweeted like 56,000 times. Martin Bellum, a journalist, uh, just wrote a quick post to Medium, and he pointed out that if you do like a Google News search on that Lebanon bombing, he says, no media has covered this, but rest in peace to all the people that lost their lives in Lebanon yesterday. So he was, he was referring to the recent bombing in Lebanon, though mm-hmm. the photo was, was from 2006. And so it was wrong in a couple different ways, and it was retweeted 56,000 times. Martin Bellum pointed out that there were actually 1,286 articles on Google News uh, about the Lebanon attacks. And your point is absolutely accurate that if we look at the content, the way that that is covered, it's very different than the way that the Paris attacks were covered. And I would even I would even suggest that there are some like legitimate reasons for that. It's sort of similar to the coverage of Israel. And there's often this complaint uh, by Israelis, like, why are we singled out for such intense coverage? Um, and in fact, like it's true, like there are more journalists living in Israel per square mile than anywhere else in mm-hmm. the world uh, is one stat that I uh, am aware of. It's just a lot easier. There's just a lot more journalists in downtown Paris and people, you know, journalists uh, and for like the, for the coverage that follow, journalists want to go to Paris and mm-hmm. in, in a way that they don't want to go to Beirut after there's an incident. So all of that influences the coverage, but you're absolutely right. The way people think about Paris is very different than the way – right. It influences the coverage and it influences the reaction from people too. And, and it's, uh, I hate this cliche, but it is sort of a chicken and egg thing, right? Like if we, if we saw, if journalists saw the heartfelt response from social media, um, reacting to Beirut as they did for, for Paris, if they saw the, the Lebanese flag filters and the pray for Beirut before people made a point of Lebanese filters and pray for Beirut, um, you know, you best believe the media would follow, of course, because, because, you know, readers are showing that that's, that's what they, what they want to read. But at the same time, if readers aren't being, um, inundated with the coverage as they were with, with Paris, um, you know, maybe they don't they don't think to to start these sort of uh, social media reactions as well. Yeah, I, I get the chicken and egg thing, and that's also what Martin Bellum was was writing about. Was there's always coverage about this stuff when it happens in, in Baghdad or Lebanon. Nobody reads it. Like the, the metrics on it are totally different. But that also might be a reflection of, I mean, the coverage is just like it's a little bit dehumanizing. Like the lives that are lost are not treated with the same severity. No, I get that. Like I know why people. 
it, there's just – most people I think have sort of a large category in their heads of places that they relate to as sort of like where they live and then places that are just, you know – filed under conflict places. I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I felt that even within the uh, the Lebanese community, um, my family's Lebanese, uh, Lebanese Canadians, but even within that community, I, I didn't see as uh, visceral a response to the ISIS bombing as uh, as I did to to the Paris um, bombing, even though it is, you know, this this is only the second ISIS attack in Lebanon. It is still an anomaly, but at this point— Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You're telling me that Lebanese Canadians were more concerned— I'm not saying that they were more concerned, but I I do think that they were reacting more to— So I I went to the— to a a, a scholarship awards gala on uh, Friday night. Uh, it was for Muslim students who uh, have uh, remarkable marks and contributions to the community, and they were giving you know up to five thousand dollars to these students. But uh, so it was it was a celebratory night, um, but it was also just a few hours after the first bombs had rattled Paris, and so there's always this like uncomfortable tension on Muslims. Uh, when they're doing public speaking or sometimes even private conversation to, you know, to acknowledge radical Islam, to denounce the terrorists. And, uh, and no doubt they, they did, but they did it in the, in the context of what's happening in Paris right now, not in the context of what happened in, in Beirut. I mean, it's, it's, I think more commentary on the Lebanese experience. They, you know, they, they have, I think, a lot of them have reached sort of a defeatist uh, attitude when it comes to um, when it comes to attacks and war um, in in Lebanon, whether it's uh, you know whether it's caused by by Israel or ISIS or other um, you know radical factions. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I mean, I hate to say it, but I think everyone in the West, including at least from my observation, including Western Arabs, were were you know, more desensitized to the Lebanese bombings and the Baghdad bombings and the Paris bombings, for sure. Yeah, it's just so interesting what you say. Like, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining some Lebanese Canadian kid accepting an award and saying, thank you very much. And by the way, I denounce uh, ISIS. <laughs> yeah, know? well, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the students, but certainly the, um, you know, MCs and some of the keynotes. Yeah, not, not so explicitly that, that we denounce ISIS, but to say like, you know, kind of a, a gentle reminder that these people do not represent the majority of, uh, you know, peaceful right. Canadian Muslims, which is such a weird thing to have to do. I mean, we don't expect Irish people to immediately denounce the IRA or, you know, or, or Christians to denounce anything that happens from the Ku Klux Klan. Um, but I mean, that's a whole other issue. Certainly the irony is in sharp relief when it's on a day when people's actual, like their people's families might have been affected by the bombing in yes, Lebanon. Yes, and there was quite a bit of Lebanese heritage in that room. The The organization is, uh, is, is you know, very much, um, very much a pillar of the local Lebanese community. All right, well, let's move on to the next topic. But before we do, I just want to I just want to say publicly to anybody who's wondering that I, I, I publicly decry the actions of the Jewish uh, settler extremists who are stabbing people at gay pride rallies. I, I do not condone those actions. I'm glad you got that out of the way. I wasn't going to say yeah. anything, but I was waiting for it, certainly. <laughs> OK, next up, Omar. Breaking news. It's often broken. Add to that the Internet, social media. Add to that Gamergate. And we have a lot of stuff that was wrong and misreported. And there were consequences in the early hours. This 
And let's start with uh, this Canadian journalist, uh, Sikh gentleman, Virender Jubal, who, I mean, this is a nightmare what happened to this guy. He was at odds with these Gamergate thugs, and they photoshopped him as a terrorist, as one of the Paris attackers. And it got picked up by mainstream media, got picked up by Sky Italy in Spain's La Razon newspaper. I noticed that they didn't mention the dildo that was photoshopped into the photo in that news clip. (laughs) Yes, somebody did photoshop a dildo. Uh, behind poor Virinder Jabal, the poor SOB uh, ran afoul of these Gamergate thugs. And so they photoshopped an explosive vest onto him and, yeah. and turned his iPad into a Quran. And-, and and so much of the coverage has been, you know, about how easily a photo can be altered. That's not That's not what this is about. This is about how easily stupid media in Spain and Italy apparently can be manipulated and other people can be manipulated. I mean, any any critical thinker should have been able to tell right away that this is BS. I mean, there was a North American plug. The guy's wearing a turban. He's a Sikh, right? There's no camera, right? So has he taken this selfie, what, with a Quran? Is it one of those smart Qurans, like an eye Quran? And also there's a cartoon dildo <laughs> in the back of the bathroom. Uh, but you're not giving ISIS enough credit. They, they are a menace and they are taking in that's now they are recruiting Sikhs. They're recruiting people who have strange <laughs> sexual uh, there's all sorts of things are happening. They have And people, their Qurans are digitized. They're now. D- digitizing their Qurans. They're digitized. This is the digital <laughs> Islamic You know, Someone really needs to create a, a media handbook on how to deal with trolls like Gamergate. I got my lesson when I when I messed with uh, Edmonton's men's rights activists who do a lot of the same. They take a lot of the same tactics. I called them on their on their bullshit. And uh, Karen Strawn, who's a who's a, a very prominent voice in the men's rights movement who lives in Edmonton, created a video. That called me a Holocaust denier. And now when you search my name on Google, I've never talked about this before, but I think now's the time to, to talk about it. When you search my name on Google, the, one of the first things that comes up is Omar Mualem, Holocaust denier. You click the video, oh, ha, 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 it's a parody video. Um, but, you know, Google search algorithms don't know the difference between parody and, and, and not. Right. Um, but this is, this is the kind of stuff that Gamergate people do. And, you know, they, they just get the rocks off on it. And the more attention we bring to it as journalists and media, the more they do it, the more they enjoy it. That's that's what it's all about from them. They're there's some loner losers and they have the ability to manipulate and and uh, control people's lives and put them through hell without ever having to leave their computer. And that's that's what they're doing. The only thing you can do is lean into that and say that happened and it's bullshit. And the only thing that Virender can do is is draw more attention to his case and say, if, if you're going to use my name, put it on, to, on your newspaper, let's actually get my name out there and, and clear up the facts. And here's what's interesting. The Internet, the Internet, the Internet, misinformation on the Internet – it was the mainstream media that picked up this, ga- this Gamergate thing who finally debunked it. It seems that it was this uh, Grasswire, which I just learned about. It's a crowdsourced fact-checking uh, community, I guess. It's like an open newsroom. The internet, basically. The internet and not mainstream media debunked. <laughs> and Virender himself, who, who provided proof that this was all bullshit. Uh, but it's this wonderful fact-checking service that, right. we, that, that you know just proved. Here's the original source photo. Here – and Virender. Here – here is the doctored photo. This is all a lie. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think Virinder is going to be fine. Um, I mean, this, this, I, I think you'd have to go pretty deep into the search results now to find anything that actually um, assumes that he is one of the terrorists. It's actually more about how you know this guy had a, you know how how these trolls tried to ruin this guy's life and and uh, yeah, but at the same time, I don't even know if Gamergate expected it to go this far. Do you think no, that they did? I don't because, think so. In fact, I mean, they, they, they made, they doctored it before the Paris attacks. And, but, and then the guy, uh, like the photo had been doctored, as I understand it, before the Paris attacks, but then the guy recirculated it after the Paris attacks. And and then it just sort of uh, but, snow, but, snowballed. But even, even then, I don't know if he expected it to go this far, like for people to actually take it seriously. I mean, the, Jesse, that, that dildo is a cartoon. It's a cartoon dildo. It's it's it looks so ridiculous. I, I I really don't think that even the trolls expected it to go as far as it did. No, your point is well taken. And if you actually read up about the the guy who photoshopped it, he was like these were like uh, bad uh, offensive jokes. He did one about Anita Sarkeesian, who's a frequent target uh-huh. of, Gam- of Gamergate, where he gave her this uh, huge Jewish hook nose, and it was like comically the size of her head. He was not trying to fool anyone with this photo. It was just a hateful jab at her. So I think that the point was just to ridicule him, and maybe it's just like uh, it, it went too far, or, or depending on their point of view, the icing on the cake that the next time this guy is trying to get into a foreign country and they Google him, this is what's going to come up. More misinformation and fuckery and uh, the Syrian passport that was supposedly was found next to one of the suicide uh, bombers. And a guy named Charlie Winter tweeted uh, a very logical reflection on that. He said, why would a jihadist who expressly rejects all notions of modern citizenship take his passport on a suicide mission so, so that it gets found? Yeah. So, so that it gets found. So this, it got found and it got reported as one of these guys is Syrian. It's now we know that the passport is a fake, and now we're having this whole conversation about Syrian refugees because obviously these Syrians are just going to come in and blow up everything. Yeah, and this passport was like the Ford F one fifty of fake passports. Like everybody who had a fake passport from the from the Arab world or Muslim world had that passport. Can you can you explain that to our listeners outside of Alberta? <laughs> that, so, <laughs> that, that's the basic bitch truck is what you're Ford saying Ford F-150 is the most popular truck in Canada Jesse don't be so Toronto centric <laughs> um, so again this is a mainstream media blunder that has real consequences uh, because of what we're actually talking about in this country and and that is this question of these Syrian refugees that uh, uh, yeah. I, I thought that we had an election that had a lot to do with that. I thought the Canadians spoke up and said that we want these refugees, but apparently now— Did you catch now, that Ottawa Citizen article? What? Uh, which one are you talking about? Well, about about Justin Trudeau, you know, sticking to his guns and, and uh, promising that— that he's going to still make an effort to bring in 25,000 refugees by the end of the year despite— the attacks. Yeah, no, I missed that story in The Citizen, but I, I, I caught other questions of the similar uh, similar vein, just, well, the Paris attacks, that's got to have an impact on this uh, on the Syrian refugees that we're going to take in. Here's a question that was asked to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau at the G20. Seeing people burning mosques in Peterborough, terrible news, and Philippe Couillard, Premier Couillard, is saying we, we cannot back away from this kind of commitment. And yet, uh, I wonder if you can be a little more specific in your measures. Are we going to have the refugees who are coming over screened overseas and screened in Canada, can you give us whatever you can at this point about the specific security measures to make sure there's no bad apples coming to Canada? Okay, so I'm not sure if that question was from the citizen, but we've heard a lot of questions uh, directed at uh, Trudeau and other uh, elected officials saying that d- despite these attacks, yes, 
despite these attacks, are that was still... the lead of the Ottawa Citizen. Article. Yeah, and, and and there you heard it as well that there is some the suggestion. It's a loaded question. The suggestion is that these attacks have something to do with these desperate people that we have committed to to taking into to Canada. So, and what are they th- don't. And you could just as likely write that lead that you know. Justin Trudeau is committed to bringing 25,000 refugees before the end of the year because the Paris attacks show the kind of hell that they've been living in times 100 every day and are in fact trying to escape. I mean, that could very well just be the same lead. It's another loaded question, but it's the same damn thing. What annoys me is that there's a presumption in that question that doesn't, that, you know, that they don't even need to explain you know, like there are these attacks in Paris. Are you still going to bring in the refugees? Everyone listening to the question would just understand, oh, yeah, yeah, now we have to reconsider that. And, you know, you ask any question you want, but I think you got to stop for a second and like actually tell me why you've, you've connected those two things if you're going to ask that question. Yeah, and I think people don't know the difference between asylum seekers and – refugees as well. It's all fair and well to say that, you know, we're not accepting uh, asylum seekers from this area. And and that's not really a Canadian problem anyway. Nobody from Syria is just showing up at the Canadian border in a boat and and seeking asylum. Refugees is very different. They go through a very rigorous uh, screening process. And then also, for better or worse, Canada has... um, you know, it prioritizes different kinds of people. It prioritizes families, uh, the sick, uh, minors who don't have caretakers. It, they're not just bringing in necessarily individual men. That's that is not that is not sort of the the process of it. Um, you know, and and the thing to keep in mind is that um, you know, betting that the West is going to halt refugees, that might as well have come from an ISIS press release. You know, that, that, that is sort of ISIS's playbook. They, they call fleeing refugees a, a major dangerous sin, and they are trying to create this us versus them mentality. Um, if they can make Muslims an enemy in the West or seem like or make the refugees seem like enemies in the West, then then they're they're more likely, I think, to turn to ISIS or turn to radicalization. Well, I, I think it's a totally legitimate hypothesis that they wanted it to be they wanted this to have a direct impact on the refugee situation. And that's why the passport, uh, this fake passport was carried by by one of the bombers. I think that's a totally I mean, we don't know that for a fact, but I think that that, that, that that's consistent with what we know about them. Yeah, the attackers, I understand, so far, four of the five were French nationals, and the other one is believed to be Belgian. Yeah. You know, the domestic treatment of this, the way that we interpret this in terms of how it actually affects our lives here, so we have that kind of a question about bringing in refugees, and then, like, a mosque gets torched. Mm -hmm. A mosque in Peterborough gets set on fire. I'm not saying that we didn't cover it. But I'm listening to the radio, I'm watching television, and I see all of these Canadian journalists, these high-profile journalists, all flew over to Paris. Peter Mansbridge is in Paris. Anna Maria Tremonti is in Paris. Ezra Levant is in Paris. He brought Gavin <laughs> McInnes. To- Why the hell do we need these people in Paris? They're not there covering breaking news. They're not, they're not actually there getting these events as they happen. And so a, a city that's been traumatized gets this influx of people. There's news crews everywhere. And meanwhile, the domestic impact that actually – like we're going to get that coverage from Paris. Like there's there's no shortage of media giving us – people who actually know people there, have sources there. I'm not disparaging. I think the current was actually great this morning. Uh, but I don't know why they have to be there. And meanwhile, a, a, a mosque is being torched here 
and there's more and more uh, instances uh, instances of backlash. Uh, a Muslim woman was beaten outside of uh, her kid's school. I want to see these journalists at that mosque. I, I want to see that on the front page. I mean, how we how we deal with this is incredibly important. How Canada responds to this domestically with the Muslims who live here, with our own communities, I feel is where our journalistic resources should should be. I mean. I, and there's just there's, this can go around. I mean, I remember after the Charlie Hebdo, Paul Wells from McLean's was like in Paris and he was tweeting about a baguette that he was eating. Like, <laughs> I, I was just like, dude, dude. Are you, <laughs> oh my, not, not, not going to touch that one. Huh? No, no. I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, look, I'm, I'm a travel writer. I, I love being sent around. I mean. You know, I I, <laughs> I know exactly what it's like to tweet about your baguette in in Paris, um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I question the, um, the the value of of sending your your best journalists to um, to a place where where you're not actually where they're, they're it's almost impossible for them to uncover uh, uncover anything new there. I mean, they're they're really just they're just doing TV hits, right? They're just doing TV and, and, and radio hits at, at that point. I mean, kudos to them if they do are doing on the ground reportage. But yeah, <laughs> Omar, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse. It's been a pleasure. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Omar, where can people find you? At Omar underscore A-O-K. Our website is canadalandshow.com, where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, Not Sorry. Our crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. And the next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. If you like this show, please support it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.